introduce to you uh, Dr. Daniel Nervis, who is the president of Nightlight Christian Adoption, home of the Snowflake Embryo Adoption Program. Uh, Dan has worked as a pastor, professional counselor, and adjunct professor of biblical studies at Biola University. He is also a published author of four books and numerous articles in adoption and religious magazines. He has a PhD in pastoral counseling. Daniel married his junior high sweetheart, Christina, and they have six kids, three of whom they've adopted. And so, Dan, we are excited to have you here. Of course, that's Dan's resume, um, but uh, I know Dan from... uh, when I was 12 and 13 and, and on and um, in Boy Scouts. And so Dan and his brother Ken uh, were in my Boy Scout troop out in California. And uh, Dan and <clears throat> Dan and Ken, when they were 14 years old, met Jesus. I don't know, Dan, our Boy Scout troop, 40, 50 kids, it wasn't a small troop, and yet here's two, bo- two 14-year-old boys that said, saw this Boy Scout troop as their mission field. And there was a red-headed, 14-year-old, foul-mouthed, pagan kid in that Boy Scout troop named Stephen Carn. He didn't know Christ. didn't know the gospel. And probably the first time I ever truly heard the gospel was from the mouth of uh, the man who's going to come and speak to us long, long ago. And so I certainly owe him a a personal debt. Um, I trust God will reward him for the work that he's done and continues to do. Will you please welcome Dan Nervous to uh, Hamilton Baptist Church. Well, that's the most meaningful introduction I'll ever get, that's for sure. We were blessed to spend last evening with Stephen and Allegra, and you know what? They are happy in this church, and that's a blessing to you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, don't make the work of your pastor a burden, because that's no benefit to you. And so you're really blessed to have them happy here. The name of my organization is called Nightlight Christian Adoptions, and we were presenting, just like this morning with our table outside, at a county event one time in Southern California, and a county worker came by and read our name on the top of our banner, and they said, Nightlight Christian Adoptions. So you do adoptions of Christians. And I said, no, no, that's not what that means. What that means is that adoption is a Christian act. It's a Christian ministry. And it's not immediately apparent to everyone what is Christian about adoption. In fact, we have a brochure out on our table that says, what is Christian about adoption? But what's Christian about adoption is that through welcoming orphan children into our home, we are acting out the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, because we are making disciples of children that we bring into our home, often who come from ignorance in the gospel, And we're also acting out the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. The Bible gives us 44 different verses that call us to care for the orphan. And we'll read a few of them this morning. Why don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, 
verse 4, and we'll read about our adoption in Christ, and then I have a question for you, which is when we talk about adoption as a ministry to children, and we talk about our adoption into God's family, which is the metaphor and which is the original? Which is the copy? Which is the original? The, the metaphor in this. Okay, Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So my question for you is when the Bible talks about our relationship to God as if we are adopted, is that, the metaf- is that a metaphor for some earthly practice we have of adopting children? Or when we adopt children, are we acting out a metaphor of a spiritual original that we were adopted into God's family? And I think it's the latter, that we have this blessing on earth where we get to act out adoption so that we can better understand the spiritual, original reality that you were adopted into God's family. What do we call it when you permanently, permanently welcome a child into your home who is not related to you and you bestow upon that child the inheritance of your name and your possessions? What do we call that? Adoption. What family were you born into? You were not born into the family of God. You were born into the family of Adam, right? The family of sin, the family of man. But God saw that you were in need of rescuing and that your inheritance was death. And through a great cost... He adopted you into his family and permanently bestowed upon you the inheritance, which is your new life in Christ. And he even sealed that inheritance, as it says in this chapter, just like we seal adoption with an adoption decree. My daughter Natasha is here. She was adopted in our family when she was two years old. We have an adoption or a birth certificate. If you look at her birth certificate, It says, mother, father, Daniel, and Christina. And it gives no indication whatsoever that she was adopted. Just as surely as history was rewritten on her birth certificate, he has given you a seal of your adoption, which is the Holy Spirit living in you. So God has given us this way to act out the gospel of our own adoption. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. And practical ways that you can be involved in that biblical mandate repeated 44 times in scripture to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress. In John 14, 18, Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now admittedly, this verse is talking about him bestowing the Holy Spirit upon his disciples so that they would know they're not alone in this world, even though Jesus ascended to the Father The Holy Spirit has come to them and is not leaving them alone in this world. That's their seal of adoption that we just read about in Galatians 4. 
When I think of that verse, I think of how we can act this out as a reminder of our salvation in the lives of other children in need. My wife and I traveled to the nation of Kyrgyzstan in 2015. We went there three times to adopt our most recent addition, a girl named Idana, who's eight years old. And because we went there three times, we got to know all of the children in this orphanage. There were over 100 kids, and we got to know most of them by name and followed their story, actually, over a period of several years. And so I just have one picture of one of the children there named Vector, who my wife and I, as we were adopting our daughter, we saw the friends, her friends, and we thought, we, we are not going to leave the rest of these kids in this orphanage as orphans. We're going to continue coming back to them, just as Jesus did to us, to make sure that they're not left as orphans. And over the next few years, several of uh, Idana's friends were adopted, including this boy. Uh, in fact, one of the boys lives uh, a few miles from us, from her orphanage. And, and she told us recently, she said, I'm going to marry Sergey." So she, she's lucky that he uh, now lives in our neighborhood. So we can be bearers of the same message that Jesus gave to us about not leaving orphans alone. Advocating for children in need begins before they're orphaned, though. It begins even at birth. And on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, I want to point out in Psalm 139 where it talks about God created our inmost being and knit us together in our mother's womb. Now, that verse talks about how we were known by God and knit together by God before we were ever born. He knew our name and we were precious to him. And do you know that there are over 1.6 million frozen embryos in this country, in frozen storage? And those frozen embryos have been created by couples who do IVF, and those embryos are waiting for an opportunity to be born. But those are human beings who need an opportunity of life. So one of the ways our organization reaches out to those orphaned embryos is through our Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. One thing you can do in order to advocate for the life of pre-born children in the form of embryos is to just spread the word to those who have embryos in storage. Did you know that you could donate them to another couple and that they, you can give those embryos life? There's probably people in this room who have embryos in storage and haven't made the decision to donate them to someone else. And we get asked sometimes, why do you call that adoption? Why don't you just call that donation? Why are you involved? Why isn't it just a medical clinic? But the reason is, people are raising children who are not related to them. We do a home study, we match them with social workers, and there's an open relationship afterward. So let's remember that the call to the orphan includes going all the way back to when they're frozen as embryos. The call to reach orphans also means to reach women facing crisis pregnancy. In James 1.27, we read, Religion that our God, God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphan and widows in their distress. Now that includes looking after the women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. And there's something everyone in this room can do in order to support those women. This is a woman named Shay who placed her baby through our agency. Our agency was founded in 1959 
So domestic adoption or voluntary placement at birth is the most type of adoptions that we've done over the years. Do you know that in 1972, before Roe versus Wade, before abortion was legalized, 8% of births resulted in adoption. 8% of births resulted in adoption. Since 1973, when abortion became legal, nowadays only 1% of births result in adoption. Where did the other 7% go? Now, some of them, some of those children, that difference is made up for the fact that single parenting has become more acceptable in our society. But the majority of that difference from 8% to 1% is because of abortion. That other 7% of those children who would have been adopted 40 years ago are now being aborted. And we can make a difference by supporting crisis pregnancy centers, maternity homes, donating to those ministries or volunteering at them, and certainly spreading the word, these children don't need to be aborted. Because for every child who is placed for domestic adoption by a woman like Shay, there's 20 families who want to adopt that child. I'm telling you from our own list, for every domestic placement of a woman who voluntarily places her child, there's 20 other families who would love to adopt that baby. There just aren't enough babies being born to um, meet the number of families who struggle with infertility, which is one in six couples in this country struggle with infertility at some point in their life. Now, don't you think God had all the math worked out long ago before the foundation of the world? I think he did. God knew that there would be people who have a fertility problem. God knew there would be women who face unplanned pregnancies. And it's incredible to me that the numbers are roughly equal if there weren't a such thing as abortion. So one way we can reach these women in their distress and also care for the orphan. In Ephesians 1.4 we read, In love God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we were adopted into God's family he chose us from the foundation of time. And I think about the, the ministry that we have to children. I remember a certain, uh, one particular girl named Luba who was adopted from Russia, and someone asked her at an event that we were having, were you afraid when you met your mother for the first time? And she said, no, I wasn't afraid when I first met her because I just looked at her, and I said, that's my mother. And I had a personal experience like that, too, with our daughter, Idana, when we went to her orphanage in the nation of Kyrgyzstan, the first time we ever met her, we walked in the door, and she stood up. Now, she said this in Russian, but she stood up, and she announced to everyone in the room, hello, my mother and father are here. I'm going home now. Goodbye. <laughs> and it, it didn't happen that quickly. It took another five months before we were able to bring her home. And she continued complaining over the next few months when we left. We came back. We left. We came back. And she kept saying to our social worker there in Kyrgyzstan, where's my mama and my papa? And she said, they're doing a little bit of paperwork. They'll be here. Don't worry. And she said, I'm not paperwork. I'm a person. Can you believe that? A five-year-old girl said that. So even though it took a lot of work for God to bring us into his family, he predestined it and knew that it would cost him his son, his one and only son. 
And it took a lot of time, right? In the fullness of time, it says that Christ came in order to save us. It took time and it took cost. But he chose from the foundation of the world to do this for us. In Psalm 113, verse 9, we read, God settles this childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Now, in our office in Southern California, we have plaques on each of the doors with a Bible verse that explain the ministry behind what happens in that office. So each office has a, a Bible verse on its door. And in our records room, which is, has over 10,000 family records, we have a verse on that door that says this, God settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. And every one of our 10 offices has a big, engraved, beautiful metal sign at the very front door that says the most blessed parents in the world have walked through these doors. There is a blessing that comes through bringing children in need into your home. And I know that it's not the ministry that everyone is called to at this stage in their life, but I do believe that it can go well for people. My wife and I used to be advocates for uh, foster families before I started working at this agency. And the message I wanted to say to other foster families that we had adopted two children from foster care is, I know when you're in your training to become a foster parent, the social worker is going to tell you this is going to be hard. This is going to be very difficult. And it's true. But I also want to just send the message, this can also be such a blessing. And it can go really well, too. Well, there's a man named Paul who lives in Arizona who is a financial donor to our organization for scholarships. And I called up Paul and I thanked him for his regular donation every year, several thousand dollars for adoption scholarships. And I said, Paul, I want to thank you for your regular giving to this fund. And he stopped me before I was able to finish my sentence and he said, hold on. You have given me a debt I could never repay because you've given me my grandchildren. Now, I mean, I didn't give it to him, and our organization didn't. It was a lot of people involved, but he was settled in his home as the happy grandfather of his grandchildren he wouldn't have had otherwise without uh, adoption. And so that was the debt that he wanted to repay by paying it forward for other couples who were going to adopt. So other things you can do, of course, you can also give to adoption scholarships. You can mentor children who are in foster care. You can give respite care for a weekend to a weary adoptive family. Uh, You can volunteer at a camp for a week called Royal Family Kids Camp where there are foster children and they want to bond with uh, adults who are at that camp. And so if you're not called to adopt, you can find other ways to be involved. In Romans 8.15, we read, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So we read throughout the Bible where the motif or image of adoption about us and God's family is repeated, that it's permanent, that we are in a new family, we have a new father, and it is sealed by this promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence that it's been given to you, that it's permanent, and that you have an inheritance in Christ. This week, 
someone, a high schooler from Ohio, emailed me and said, I'm doing a paper on the effectiveness of inter-country adoption. Could I interview you? And I thought, what an interesting word, the effectiveness of inter-country adoption. And it got me thinking, what is the effectiveness of it? One of the things I love about adoption, whether it's from your backyard in foster care or inter-country adoption, wherever it's from, is that it accomplishes a form of humanitarian work that is different from other types because of its certainty. I like that in the video where, that we watched earlier this morning, that it is absolutely certain that if you take a child into your home, you will be making a difference for that one. And when I think of the effectiveness of adoption, it's different from child sponsorship or orphan care ministry in that we know with certainty that a child has had several problems solved. What was the main problem listed in the video this morning? It wasn't lack of shoes, right? And it wasn't lack of food. What was the main problem that child said in that video? I don't have parents. The number one problem children are facing is solved through adoption when they have parents. But they're rescued out of poverty. They're rescued out of ignorance of the gospel. And so uh, there's just no other humanitarian work that I know of that has a 100% guarantee. Yes, you will solve the poverty problem. Yes, you will solve the ignorance of the gospel problem. Yes, you will solve the lack of parents problem. So, yes, it's indeed effective. In fact, this is our daughter, Idana, pictured there. We were at a restaurant a few months ago. And she's now eight years old. She's been in our home three years. We were reflecting on the death of an 18-year-old friend of my son. His, his friend, the same age, had died. And Idana was asking my wife, what happens after you die? And so my wife explained the gospel to Idana. And then as we were sitting later on at that dinner, she looked around at the people in the restaurant, and she kind of went like this, and she said to my wife, tell them. I mean, who wouldn't want to tell them? They, you just told, we are facing a huge problem here of ignorance of the gospel and our own salvation, and that those who believe in Christ will live forever in heaven. And she just thought, this is good news. You've got to tell the people at the restaurant. So we, we didn't go, you know, table to table telling them that night, but uh, we do want to continue to tell people the good news that we've been saved through Christ, adopted into his family. In Jeremiah 5, 28, we read, their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. So this is a verse about evil nations, the pagan people surrounding the Jewish nation at the time, and they were described by their lack of concern for the orphan, their lack of justice for the fatherless. And I think that uh, that doesn't have to describe us. That doesn't have to describe our nation. It doesn't have to describe your church. It doesn't have to describe uh, our families. Uh, in fact, every year we have a picnic in Southern California where we invite, the OC means Orange County. We're located in Orange County, California. We invite all of the children and families who've been adopted in our area together and I remember in particular uh, hearing a conversation where someone said to one of the kids adopted from Russia, 
She was adopted from orphanage number two in St. Petersburg. And someone asked her, do you miss your friends from Russia? Because a lot of the kids who were adopted in our agency were teenagers or preteens at the time. And she said, in all seriousness, looking at the group that's pictured there, she said, no, they're all here. And it was true because we had emptied out orphanage number two and orphanage number 38 in St. Petersburg as the, the word spread throughout a community of people in Southern California who all saw their friends take this leap of faith and it went well for most of them and they saw that their friend adopted and they said, I can do this too. And so really that's the message we want to keep planting in people's minds is that you can do this. Whatever it is God has put in your heart, you can do something to make a difference. Now, in... Kampala, Uganda, every day, 40 babies are abandoned. And it's a city like many others in the world. And the question sometimes comes up, why not just help the families there raise these kids? Or why don't the families there raise these kids? And my friend Ken, who's the black man in the yellow shirt there, and his wife Kathy, they're dear friends of ours, who run the orphanage in Kampala. I asked Ken that question. I said, how would you respond to someone who says, why don't the people there just care for these kids or why don't we help them care for them? And he said, Dan, there is not a family in all of Uganda who isn't already caring for multiple family members. And that's true because the AIDS crisis has so greatly affected that nation that that every family has multiple family members who they're caring for. And so... There really is a need that exceeds what those nations are able to do that demands our intervention. In Deuteronomy 10.18, it says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. If God defends the cause of the fatherless, how exactly does he do that? He does it through his people, right? That's the only method that God currently has. Now, I know back in the times of Moses, he provided manna from heaven. But currently, the way God is feeding the orphan and clothing the orphan is through his people who he puts in their heart to do something about it. Several years ago, a little girl named Vivian was matched in that orphanage in Kampala that we work with to be adopted by the Purdue family in Hastings, Nebraska. And Vivian died in the few intervening months between her match with that adoptive family and when the adoption could take place. Because she died, and there were several people who were visiting that orphanage at least annually to go minister to the kids there, several people knew this girl, knew her story, and they just determined never to bury another child on the grounds of that orphanage. Uh, My wife and I visited her grave a couple years ago, and, and we saw the work that arose out of that, two women in particular, Courtney and Kelly, decided every year they would do a fundraiser for the medical needs of the kids at the Tender Hearts Baby Home in Kampala. And every fall at a vineyard in Southern California, they do a big dinner and they raise $40,000 for a medical clinic to ensure that no more children are buried from that orphanage. And now the medical clinic has the funds to actually reach all of the families 
adults and children in that community. So you can do something like that. Use your, the Spirit of God to guide you in what you can do as well. As we all know, not everyone is called to adopt, but I do believe everyone is called to do something. Isaiah 1, 17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Now, there's a family in Southern California that we're friends with who've adopted nine children, and most of them from other countries. And when I see that family, I think of this verse from Isaiah 43, verse 6, that says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. I was reading a book a couple years ago by an anti-adoption activist. Did you know that such people exist? They do. Uh, I mean, everything has its anti-people. I have a friend who's on the board of free wheelchair missions. They give wheelchairs to people in developing countries who don't have them. They have activists against them. They have protests against their wheelchairs. So everybody's got that. And this anti-adoption activist was saying, Christians tend to see adoption as an uncomplicated good. And I thought, that's me. I'm guilty of that. I see it as an uncomplicated good. And she was trying to say, oh, it's so complicated. There's so many costs and difficulties and things that, um, you know, every time you do good, you also do bad at the same time. And I just thought, there is something in and of itself that is beautiful about God gathering his children from afar. You know, just think of it in terms of money for a moment. There are rich and poor people among us. Did God know that was going to happen? God could have created a world that did not contain rich people and poor people. Now, does God make every person who's rich, rich, and does he make every person who's poor, poor? I don't think so. Instead, God created a universe where there are rich and poor people And then what does God get to see unfold? He gets to watch his people who are rich give to those who are poor. And in so doing, he sees his character unfold and play out in his people. Now, as I was saying earlier, there are women who are facing crisis pregnancy. There are orphans who are in need of adoption. And at the same time, there are couples who want more children or want children at all. And God could have simply made it so that everybody has two kids. He could have eradicated the world of infertility. Uh, He certainly could have designed the world differently so that we wouldn't have any of these problems to solve. But by creating the world the way he did, he didn't make these children orphans. He didn't make people childless. He didn't make women facing crisis pregnancy pregnant. He didn't cause these things, right? But he did put us in a world that he created where all these problems exist, and yet as we are part of the solution, we see his character unfold as we act it out. And that's what we celebrate on this Orphan Sunday. Let me finish by reading a verse about how God is going to make all things new in Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. We inwardly await not only our adoption and the inheritance that comes with it, but we groan for all of creation to experience that same blessing of being completely remade and fashioned into the image of God. Let's pray together. God, we know that you have put in the hearts of your people this morning specific ways that each of us can respond to the needs of children near and far as you create the world more beautifully in your image. And we pray that you give us wisdom in how to act. In Jesus' name, amen.